Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness upon our lives. We say may your name be praised, O God, in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that as we look into your words today that you speak to us. I pray, O Lord, that everybody that is seated here today would hear what they need to hear for their lives in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, you meet them at the point of their needs. Let hearts be healed. Let people experience your power and your presence today. In Jesus' name, I have prayed. Amen. Uh, happy Easter Sunday to everybody here. Um, it's Easter Sunday, but really what we're celebrating today is the resurrection. Not the death. That was on Friday. Amen. Amen. And today we're going to be continuing with the series that we started at the beginning of the month. And what is the title of the series, please? All Things New. All Things New. new. Shall we open our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians 5, 17? I know by now some of you already know it by heart, but still open it. I want us to read it again. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How many things? We didn't say some things. He didn't say a few things. He said all things. All means we can't exhaust it. Right? But even when God dropped this topic on my heart, towards the end of last summer, as we were treating lessons on the kingdom, and he told me everything that I was going to teach this month, at the time, I had not calculated that the day that I was going to be speaking to you about a new love would be Easter Sunday. I just had it. I knew I was starting with a new life, a new hope, a new love, and a new power. And it wasn't until this month actually started that he hit me. Wait, oh, the day we're treating a new love is Easter Sunday. And you will see why it's important for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus when we are done with today's topic, which, as I've said, is a new what? A new love. So we don't just have a new life. We don't just have a new hope. We also have a new love. And I want us to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And I will be reading from verse 1. To verse 8. My focus is on verse 5, but you would find that verse 1 to 8, or rather verse 1 to 4, touches on some things that we have spoken about already. I read, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace where we stand and rejoice in hope of what the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience hope, which we discussed last week. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto what? Unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Amen. And it is through that death and resurrection 
that we can say that the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What exactly does this mean? We have to take it from the source. In that the most popular verse in the Bible is John 3.16, right? And it says what? For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. Love is the source of anything that we call salvation. But you see, a lot of times when people get saved, what they fail to realize is that one thing that salvation gives you is the capacity to love God in return. Someone who does not know Jesus cannot love God. Can you say to yourself, I have the capacity to love God. I can love God. You see, this thing we call salvation has so many dimensions to it. It has so many what, dimensions to it. And there are things that you should be familiar with as a Christian. There are terms you should be familiar with. And I'm going to talk about three terms. And I'm just going to like tell you like slight differences between them. They're very slight, but they are very important. Amen. I'm going to talk about justification. I'm going to talk about sanctification. I'm going to talk about regeneration. We get all of this when we are saved. Amen. Justification is the removal of sin from our accounts because of Jesus' death. Justification is legal in nature. Amen. Amen. In that legally, you are justified because Christ has paid your death. So justification has to do with the fact that as far as God is concerned, every single sin that was on top of you is no longer on top of you. Justification is like you were owing someone a million dollars. And somebody comes and puts a hundred million in your account. You've paid your debt, right? You didn't pay it yourself. Someone has paid it for you, even in excess. So legally, by law, you are no more in what? In debt. That is justification. Sanctification is the power and disposition that has been given to us to live free from sin, to overcome temptation, and to dwell on God's side. And that's the reason why we usually say that sanctification means being set apart unto God. What does being set apart mean? It means that you have the power now to what? To live free from sin. To rise above temptation. So you see, when the, when the, the apostles were saying things like, resist the devil and he will flee from you, they can only say that to believers. Because someone who does not know Jesus does not have the power to resist the devil. That's what sanctification gives you. It's what God has given you that can set you apart unto holiness. You can now live a holy life. You're sanctified. But you see, regeneration is bestowment in you of new feelings towards God. Regeneration is what is being spoken about in Romans. Regeneration is something being born in you that gives you the capacity to love God and to align to Him. Because you see, the problem with man is that we don't have the capacity to truly love God. So let's look at the example of the children of Israel, like throughout the Old Testament. Their major problem was not that they did not know what to do. 
their major problem was not that they did not know the right thing. They had the law. They were the custodians of the law. The major challenge they had was that they had lost what aligned them to God. In that their love for God, even the best of them, was imperfect. Because they were trying with what? With their own power, their own strength. Sometimes I try to imagine how David would have been if he had the Holy Spirit inside him. If David could be a Christian. This is a man that God said he's a man after his own his own heart. But his love for God still wasn't perfect. It wasn't. Because you see, something happens in the heart of man when he comes to God. He's regenerated. Something that he has lost is given back to him. That capacity to love God and be aligned to him is given to every Christian. We still have to work it out. But you see, it's there. It's inside you. So the children of Israel lived their lives and they had the law. And when things were good, they kept the law. When things were not so good, they broke the law. They would run away from God and they would suffer. They would run back. They would run away from God they would suffer. They would run back. They'll capture them. Lord, have mercy. Lord, will have mercy on them. They'll come back. A vicious cycle that they could not come out of. Because as much as they knew what to do, they did not have the capacity to what? To do it. They didn't. If David had the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have been on that rooftop when he was supposed to be at war. Strong. Because you today, that you are not a king, if you listen to God, there are days that you want to take a step and someone just, he just tells you, don't do that thing. Right or wrong. And David had the Holy Spirit as he's climbing up the rooftop. He'll tell him, go down. You are supposed to be at war, you know, but... <laughs> And you're at home. There's so many things, so many weaknesses present in the life of man that only God can help to fix. But God doesn't fix us by fixing our behavior first. What He fixes first is our alignment or our allegiance. Because it's who you are aligned to and who you are committed to. That would dictate how you behave. So you see, Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees, and at some point he called them what the children of the devil. He said they were saying we were like our father Abraham. And he said, If you were like your father Abraham, you would not be against me. You are like your father. And they were wondering who was who, who the father that he was talking about. And said, You're like your father, the devil. So it's because the same thing that is inside you. Is inside him. You see, the Pharisees were claiming a physical lineage to Father Abraham. Jesus was looking beyond just the flesh. Jesus was looking at what they were aligned to, their alignment. And anyone who is against Jesus is against God's will because Jesus is the embodiment of God's will. And if you are against the embodiment of God's will, you are against God. So the first thing that God does is he changes our alignment. When his spirit comes inside us, we have the capacity to love him, to stand for him, to be with him. We still have to work it out. But you are not powerless anymore in this area. And there are two types of relationships in the Bible that I want us to look at. Two relationships that define the love experience that we have with God. The first is a relationship with God the Father. The second is a relationship with God the Son. And the relationship we have with God the Father is the relationship of adoption as sons. The relationship that means we are now what? Accepted into his family as what? His children. That is a love relationship. Can we just read Ephesians 1, 3 to 6? Quickly. 
Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in what? In love, having predestined us unto the adoption of the children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he had made us accepted what? In the beloved. This is the relationship of what? Of adoption. But like I said, in the physical, if you say that you adopt a child, right? It's just legal. If you adopt a child, it's just legal. Yes, the person has some rights, but that child most likely does not look like you. Right or wrong. And that's the reason why our relationship with God does not stop at justification. There's also regeneration. Because someone comes inside us to make us like him. So our adoption into the family of God is not simply legal. It's also a change in our what? In our nature. The adoption makes us true sons. Because we now share some things with God. The first thing we share is we share his characteristics. Amen. Amen. We share his words, his characteristics. So, one of the traits that I have, that I have been able to, have worked on for a while is, I like to walk around barefitted. I don't like wearing shoes. Something that my mother fights me on regularly. But you see, there's something she says when she sees me not wearing any shoes. And she says, this is how everybody in your father's family is. See, people don't like wearing shoes. There are times when I'm talking to my mom and I'm standing in a particular way. And she will look at me and say, this is how your uncles, <laughs> this is how they what? This is how they stand. I look like I have a broken nose here. I'm not the only one in my family that has it. Nothing happened though. Nothing broke. I have an uncle that has this. Just like this. Amen. Sometimes they tell me I took the height of my grandfather. And there are other people in our family that took the height of what? Of my grandfather. I'm sure my grandfather, if he was alive, would tell you he took the height of what? Of somebody else in the lineage. We share what? Characteristics. Because we have the same bloodline. We're from the same family. So even me that I'm not aware that this is how somebody used to stand in my house. I just started standing like that. Without necessarily knowing that I took it from, from somewhere. What does this mean for you? If God is holy, you are. If God is righteous, you are what? Why? Not because of anything of yourself. Because you share his nature. There is nothing that God is that you cannot be. That you cannot exhibit in his characteristics, in his personality. In the things that define who he is. Because you share his what? His nature. Something has changed within you. And that's why Paul was saying all things have what? Have passed away. If love is in God's nature, you have the capacity to love. If righteousness is in God's nature, you have the capacity to be righteous, to live righteous. If holiness is in the nature, you have the capacity to live holy. If goodness is in his nature, you have the capacity to be good. Everything, if kindness... If forgiveness is in his nature, you have the capacity to forgive. You have the capacity to do anything that makes up who God what is. Not because you did anything to deserve it, but because you share his what? His nature. You share you have his characteristics. 
The same way you look like somebody in your house. Same way you and your siblings probably share something in common physically. Amen. Second thing you share is you share his interests. You share his what? His interests. This has been given to you. In that, because you are in his family, you are interested in the things that he is interested in. We will get to how we work it out, but accept this as truth first. Because the love of God has been shared abroad in what? In your heart. Before you get to the manifestation, you have to first accept what has been done in the Spirit. Because this is what it means for you to be in God's family. There is a difference between an employee and a son. Even if they are working in the same company. Right? There is a difference. Now, does that mean that just because the son is the son, you should now go against company policy and start siphoning money and start doing things to wreck the company. Of course not. Because there are laws. There's a way he should conduct himself. But you cannot say that the employee and the son and a true son that is committed to his father have the same level of investment in that company in their heart. You can't. Because you see, the son knows that this company is for him. Like in the end, no matter what he is doing, the company is what? It's for him. He has the company's interests at heart. He's aligned with his father. Because if the company is successful, he is also successful. But you see, the employee says, salary, pay me and let me go. Because anything can happen at what? any time. You see, that's the difference between what they had in the Old Testament and what we have now. Even the best of the prophets were employees. They were caretakers. They were shadows of what we have now, which is the real thing. Which is why when Jesus was speaking, he said what? Nobody was greater than what? John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was the last prophet of old. And when he was talking about John the Baptist, he said, nobody born of a woman has been greater than what? Than John the Baptist. But the next statement he made was, but the least in the kingdom is greater than what? Than him. Separating the two timelines. The timeline that came all the way until his coming and his death and resurrection. And the timeline that comes after when he has risen from what? from the dead. That anybody that comes into his family accepting the sacrifice of his death and resurrection is greater than John. Why? The greatness is not just about the signs and wonders. It's his position. It's what he has received. Amen. So you share his interests. And I've made the third point in that you also share his what? His inheritance. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You don't belong to the kingdom of this world. Don't belong to it. You don't. This world is not your home. You're just passing through. There's an inheritance waiting for you. Jesus said that if you knew where I was going, I was talking to his disciples in John when they were sad. And he said, if you knew where I was going, you would rejoice. I go to prepare what? A place for you. If it was not so, I would not have told you. In my father's house, there are many mansions. You have an inheritance in Christ that is greater than anything that you can receive here on this earth. And those are the things that you share. Those are the things that come with what? The relationship of adoption. But there's another kind of relationship that we have in scripture. While adoption is a relationship with the father, 
this relationship is a relationship with the son. And that is the relationship of the bride. The what? The bride. The church is what? The bride of Christ. That's what we're called in scripture. And if you're still in Ephesians, let's just look at Ephesians 5. Now read 23 to 27. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by his word, and that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Amen. Amen. And if you look at Revelations the end of the Bible. Can we just go to Revelations? The book that a lot of people are scared of for some reason. Revelations is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. It's a book of hope. Revelations 21. And it says, I'll read from verse 9. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which are the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the what? The bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, and even like a jasper stone, clear as what? As crystal. Do you know that's you they are describing there? It's not you today, it was you one day. Because that's who you are. You're the Lamb's bride. Jesus did it all for you. He paid all for what? For you. And you have to personalize it. Don't generalize it like, oh, he died for the church. Who is the church? Is it this, this house? It's not this building. He paid it for what? For you. For you. Call your name. You're his bride. And there are some things that come with the relationship with the bride. Ephesians is not the only part of scripture that you see the mirrors or the comparisons between an earthly married relationship and the heavenly one. And you see one of the reasons why the Bible is really contested in subjects like submission and love is because if the devil can defeat that relationship in the earthly, then people would never have a spiritual understanding of what it means to submit to God. So we have so many movements today that antagonize the Bible and out of women empowerment or strength talk about how it's, it's that submission is wrong without taking time to understand what scripture is saying that basically the world has evolved past what this Bible says when it comes to submission. They are not really fighting the human elements. What they are fighting is the spiritual application. Because you see, the truth is that the earthly marriage is a shadow of our relationship with Christ, between Christ and the church. Christ and the church is the main thing. It's the main thing. This one that we, there's no marriage in heaven. How many people know? It's not, it doesn't exist. Here is just, it's, it ends here. So you see, the subject of submission is more about Christ than the church. And it's when you understand that, that you can understand what it really means with the man and the woman. It's no, it's no subjugation, it's submission. 
There's a dependency there because we also have a dependency on who? On Jesus. But that's not today's teaching. <laughs> what I'm going to explore today there are three characteristics of this relationship with what? With the bride. The first is what? Singleness of devotion. Singleness of what? Devotion. Devotion has to do with your what your commitment. The second, the second one is singleness of adoration. We sing it a lot. Adoration to the Lord. What does adoration mean? Adoration is a combination of love and respect. That's what it means to adore. It's the singleness of what? Of adoration. That he's the only one that you what you adore. And the third, singleness of submission. You see, if you go through your Bible, particularly the Old Testament, right? And you read you read past the the first five books, you read past Joshua and Judges and you read past the writings, you would find something fascinating if you start to look at the prophets, as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all these people. You would find that, and I've read these books, the primary accusation that God had against Israel was that they have played the harlot. There was no, I mean, no other accusation. Just different versions of what of that same accusation. He'll accuse them of adultery, accuse them of whoredom, accuse them of harlotry. Repeatedly, in different ways and in different forms. Constantly. There are times when he would do it by simply speaking. There are other times when he would do it and he would use symbols. So for example, with the prophet Osiah, what he did was he told him to go and marry one. And as he was giving birth to children, he was naming those children based on the things that were going to befall Israel because of their what? Adultery. And it's very, very interesting because there are people that tend to think that, oh, Jesus is just in the New Testament. He's not in the Old. Who do you think was inflicting these things on these people? It was Jesus himself. Jesus is the Lord. And if you study your Bible, you will see him in the Old Testament as much as in the New. Because the person that they have that relationship with is not the Father. It's who? It's the Son. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. And Israel kept playing what? The harlot. And when you break it down, playing the harlot simply means that your devotion is divided. That you're not devoted to Jesus alone. And there's something else that is what? Taking your devotion. You're committed to something else. Number two is that your adoration is what? It's divided. Number three, that your submission is what? It's divided. These three things make up what we call worship. Right? Worship is not just when we lift our hands here and when we sing songs. It's your devotion, it's your adoration, and your submission. And it has to be for Jesus alone. Those are the core things that make up our relationship with what? With the bride. And it's a love relationship. And you have the capacity to do this. Because the love of God has been what? Shared abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Christians should not approach the Christian life from a position of weakness. They should approach it from a position of strength. That it has already been done. They just need to work it out. Work it out. God's love is already in your heart. If it was just about you make, using your efforts, then Jesus did not need to die. 
Because there are so many people, even today, they try to do good. They try to do right in this world. There are so many moral people in courts. But they don't know God. They don't love God. The love of God is not in their heart. Amen. Amen. So the question is, how can we what? Work it out. And this is what I'm going to close today. Let's open our Bibles to Mark 12. Mark 12. Mark 12, 30-31. I read from 28 for context. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is what? The first commandment of all. And, the, and Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy what? Heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like this, namely, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. Amen. He said you should love the Lord with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, the first one you have, the remaining three are the ones you have to work out. Because you see, the word for heart here. It's very analogous with spirit. Like the original translation for heart here. And it's the same word that is used when he said, the love of God has been shared abroad in what? In your heart. So loving God with your heart is something that the Holy Spirit has given you. But how do you love God with your soul? Loving God with your soul has to do with the pursuit of a man's life. Amen. The pursuit of what? Of a man's life. Because it's your soul that has your desires, your dreams, your wants. It's in your soul that you conceive these things. It's in man's soul that he conceives who he wants to, who he wants to be, who he wants to become. And loving God with your soul has to do with the pursuit of your life. What you have chosen to dedicate what? Your life to. And it has to be God. Amen. It has to be who? It has to be God. It means you have to make that what? Decision. That God would become the end of what? Your life. That God would become your inheritance. What do you want out of this life? Is it money? Is it riches? Is it success? Or is it God? Those things that I just mentioned, that the things that he said will be what? Will be added unto you. But he said you should seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. The pursuit of your life has to be him. The unbeliever cannot do it. He doesn't have the capacity to do it. Because the love of God has not been shared in what? In his heart. But you don't have that problem. That part is solved for you. But you still have to take it a what? A step further. The reason why believers have difficulty establishing a relationship of love with God is because they've not made God their sole pursuit in life. They've not truly given him and said, okay, what I want in this life, Lord, is you and what you want. And if it has not reached that point, you will struggle. You what? You struggle. So that's what it means to love him with all your, your soul. 
for many Christians, their souls are derided. Some people are still holding on to the world and still trying to what? To hold on to God. It might not manifest outside at first. Trying to sort of eat your cake and have it. Still having ambitions and desires that have to do with the world, the standards of the world, the precepts of the world, what the world celebrates to be success and to be victory. And yet you have the other leg planted in what? In God's kingdom. It can't work. A man's soul is not meant to do that. Someone will pull the other. What does it mean to love God with our mind? This is what you give your thoughts to. This has to do with what you consume. How much of God do you what? You take him. You have to love him with your mind. You have to expose your mind to more of who? More of God and his word and his things and his instructions. Amen. God is very particular about the thought life of the believer. And God is very sensitive to the things that you put into your mind. Because you see, what you think affects who you are. There's no sorcery or magic in the Christian life. If you consume less of God, you would have less of God. You would know less of Him. If you consume more of him, you will have what? More of his word inside you. And his word is him. There's no sorcery. There's no magic to it. He has to occupy your mind through his word. Through books. Through tapes. Through messages. We live in an age where it's so easy for us to access what? His word. So why are we not you know, accessing it? To love the Lord finally with what? With your strength has to do with what you give your body what? To. Is your body giving unto him and his things? Do you have a concern for his kingdom? And what his kingdom requires? Do you get out of your own routine and out of your own selfish state of mind and take time to pay attention to what God would require for you to do with this body? What he wants you to say with your mouth towards that person that does not know him yet. Where he wants your legs to go. What he wants your hands to do. The most empty and the most unfulfilling Christian life is a life in which somebody has not yet come to a point where he discovers that the true beauty of the Christian experience is what we devote ourselves to do for God, not our request that we are going to him every day and saying, God, I want. That the God I want kind of Christian life the Christian life, when you seem to be going and all you are doing is you are taking, you are taking, you are taking. You go to church, you're taking the word of God, you go home. You come next week Sunday, they preach to you again, you go home. You come next week Sunday, they preach to you again, you go home. And you've never said something about Jesus to somebody else. You've never thought to yourself, okay, Lord, what can I do for you? That is the most empty and the most unfulfilling Christian life. And that's the reason why we have cold empty Christians and cold empty churches because they are spiritually obese, they are not healthy because they've taken in so much and maybe they've even listened to the right things but they've not worked it out they've not practiced any of the things that they've heard 
And practicing it takes what? Your strength. Your what? Your body. When you start to live a Christian life that has to do with you giving, giving to his kingdom and not just taking, that is when you truly start to enjoy what it means to be what? A believer. If not, you've not cracked it yet. Imagine after the disciples got, got the baptism in the upper room. They now all went back to their houses and just went to sit down. Okay, so he said we should tarry. We tarried. The Spirit of God has come. Okay, he has come. Okay, John. <laughs> and everybody just peace out and go back to their house. This is not just about his instruction. This is about the emptiness that comes with such a life. It's empty. And I've said this to people before. I said, I said this to someone last month or last two months. And he was talking to me about the struggles in his spiritual life. And I told him the best way to keep this salvation is to share it. Have you been sharing it? Say no. I said that's the problem. People just don't know. I think the best way to be a Christian is just to be going to church and to reading your Bible in your room. As if ignoring the fact that there's something that Jesus told us to do. <laughs> Pretending like that doesn't exist. Like that is not a vital part of the entire Christian experience. But you're just taking it. Oh, I opened my Bible, I read it. Holy Spirit will not talk to you. He won't talk to you because he knows that even if he shares something with you, you're not going to share it with somebody else. Some people say, oh, I want to understand the Bible. I want... Rema, I want revelation. You think that revelation is giving you it just for you? Amen. It's not for you. The world is out there. Imagine if Paul kept all the things that he heard from God to himself. We won't have this Bible like it is today now. Imagine if he kept everything to himself and did not say it to anybody. What will we have what? Today. He loved the Lord with his what? With his strength to an extreme. To what? To an extreme. Even in suffering, even in what? In pain. He used his body for what? For God. An unbeliever cannot do it. They don't have the love in their heart. But you can. The only question is will you? Will you love him with what? With your strength. Will you love him with your soul? Will you love him with your what? Your mind. These three are the way you work it out. But the most important thing, the foundational thing has been given to you already because you have a new love. It's there. It's shed abroad in your heart. There's no I can't do it. You can't. You share God's nature. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are just like him. But will you what? Will you do it? Because even Jesus himself had to submit himself to who he was as a person. He was the son of God, yes. But that's his person. That's his identity. But he was a man. And at different points in his life, he had to submit himself to what? To the love of his father. When he was about to leave them at the end of John 14, he told them what? The son of man, I mean, the, the prince of this world comments, and he has nothing what? In me. But so that the world may know that I love my father, and the love of the father is within what? Within me. So I what? So I go. What he's saying is that the devil has no power to take Jesus' life because there's no sin in, in Jesus. And it is the soul that sinneth that what? That shall die. So essentially, death actually has no power over what? Over me. But so that the world will know that I what? I love my father. I go. He had to what? Submit himself. And that's why it's very clear that they didn't trap Jesus. He wasn't trapped. They didn't kill him. No, he gave his life. It wasn't something that was done to him. He did it 
willingly. For who? For you. Shall we rise up? Firstly, I want you to open your mouth and I want you to thank God for his love. Today, what we are celebrating is his love. That is the purpose of today's service. That is the purpose of today's teaching. That is the purpose of Easter. That is the purpose of his resurrection. It was a sacrifice of love that he paid for you and me. To bring us to a place of perfection in relationship with God. To restore us completely to who he has made and called us to be. It's a relationship of love and I want you to open your mouth and I want you to praise God. I want you to thank him this morning. In Jesus' name. I want us to pray, finally, that this race that we are running is not about today. It's about when we are accepted into heaven, as we read in the book of Revelation 21, when we are called to be the bride of what? To be the bride of Christ. When we are presented unto Jesus as his bride. That Lord, anything in my life that will stop me from meeting you on the last day, Holy Spirit, purge away from me in the name of Jesus. Anything in my life, any seed that has been sown, anything that is waiting for me in the future, that will stop me from being your bride on that last day, when the church is presented unto you, when the church is presented unto you, the bridegroom, Lord Jesus, anything in my life, anything operating within myself, that would keep me in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, purge away from me, in the name of Jesus, every weakness, every sin, every weight, take away from my life, O oh Lord, I submit myself unto you today, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen.